My next guest became a partner at McKenzie at the age of 30, and he became the president of infrastructure at TRC, leading over a thousand employees at the age of 37. Please welcome Parker Meeks. Parker, how's it going? That's good, RJ. Yourself? <laughs> it's doing well, man. I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. And thank you. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, of course, man. Uh, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, Sorry all right. About it. Yeah, no problem at all. All right. So you know, let's jump right into this. What do you do? <laughs> so I currently am the president of infrastructure for a design and construction management firm called TRC. And TRC, we do a lot of things. Well, it's hard to describe in some ways, but we're a very diversified firm. And in simplest terms, we support projects that range from $10,000 to $2 billion and everything from environmental concerns on the front end of projects. Think about you're going to build a highway. We got to evaluate impacts to water, wastewater drainage and streams, endangered species running through the area even building sciences. COVID-19 has been interesting for our environmental practice because we also do decontamination services, industrial hygiene, sanitization services. And we go all the way into design, construction management, inspection. And we'll do a little bit of ops. We'll actually turn on projects. If you're talking about a water wastewater treatment plant, you're talking about certain aspects of commercial warehousing. So we're really a full service firm and we serve a lot of different end markets that are building projects from the core of what I do in our business is all things transportation and water. So highways, roadways, bridges, airports, ports, rail, buses, um, anything that's moving people or goods, we're involved in that all the way permitting, design, construction, management, life, life cycle, and then waterways, water treatment, and coastal flooding as well. But then the rest of TRC also is involved in electric power, from power lines to generation plants to renewables, wind and solar. And we also have a business that's involved in oil and gas, more of a midstream. So all, everything pipe. So as you can tell, I just took about <laughs> three minutes to try to describe something that should be pretty straightforward. But it's a company of about 6,000 people across the country that nobody's heard of, which is something I'm, I'm trying to change. That's so. great. All right. And now, so you're the president of the uh, infrastructure portion of the company. And Correct. now you mentioned that you, you deal with all things transportation and water, but so what exactly do you do though as, as the president? Yes, day in and day out, I'm doing my best to try and collaborate and lead. I consider it to be a, a really big team where my group is about a thousand people across the country, mm. spreading from California up into New York state. We're about half on the West Coast, about 30% on the East Coast, and about 20% from Texas up to uh, Chicago, up, up central part of the U.S., over into Denver, and even in uh, Louisiana and West Virginia. So we're, we're very spread out. And so my day-to-day -day really is collaborating with the other leadership in the sector. Of those, of those thousand people, there's about 20 or so that lead a practice, um, that lead a big part of a regional part of the sector that I engage with, if not daily, at least every week. 
And I'm, if I'm doing my job well, I'm setting clear strategic vision and direction of where do we want to go and grow? You know, where do we want to invest? Um, how do we want to try and take, to me, it's all about taking the best of what we do and building that further, investing behind it. And all that is through people. So we all those 20 plus leaders, each of them leads a team that could be from 10 to 200 people. And my job is really to, to work with them. And I say, I'm here to help you and stay out of your way, right? Understand what each of those leaders need, understand what their direct reports need, understand what our staff on, on the ground need. And really do everything I can to harness the resources of the company, use my network to engage with, whether it's our clients, whether it's as it's needed and appropriate political figures to talk about projects, whether it's engaging with the community to help show our support. So which I see myself as a collaborative leader of people who's trying to understand everybody's strengths, understand how I can help them grow and develop and understand what they're trying to accomplish and create a culture where we're all supporting each other to go after common goals. Okay. Wow. So you're working with your leaders internally, your, like you mentioned, the political figures, the community, your clients. Now, your clients, are these mostly municipalities or is it corporations? What, what are your clients usually? That's right. So we're 85, 90% public sector. And okay. that on the roadway side, about half of what we do is roadway, highway. Mm. And those are state departments of transportation, cities and counties. You know, some of our larger clients include 26 of the state DOTs across the U.S., large metros. So LA Metro is one metro in New York City, Houston we're working on. So we're, actually it's funny, I live in Houston, right? And, and we have two infrastructure employees in the entire city of Houston, even though we're one of the largest areas for investment in in transportation. But yeah, it's that's those types of clients. Um, water utilities, so that, that'll range from your large city water utilities, your county and uh, muni clients mm. as well. And then we even serve large departments of health or departments of administration tied to FEMA projects. For instance, unfortunately with Hurricane Laura coming in recently, uh, there's a lot of cleanup work that needs to be done in Louisiana and some that I stretched over to Galveston. So we're in discussions with RFPs coming out with clients across both states and see if we can help with the cleanup, with the rebuild, with getting the water plants turned back on. And then we're trying to grow more into the private side. Mm, okay. Our skill sets, and that's really what I, what I try to focus on, is understanding what skill sets do we have that can apply to industries we don't serve today. Mm. And we are, at our core, a bunch of civil engineers, a bunch of construction managers, designers. And we might have grown up, you know, in different cases, designing highways and roadways, but that same civil design can apply anywhere you're putting any kind of steel or concrete. So we're certainly trying to grow our support of wind and solar, of power, anywhere they're putting in steel, putting in concrete, and anywhere they're building a road, right? So uh, that's all a big part of our goals is to really create more opportunities for our people, give them more exposure and diversity in what they can do and, and grow the impact that we can have. Okay. All right. So it looks like that's part of your duty, your responsibilities also is to grow the business. And can you... Can you walk through how that works? Like you mentioned, trying to work on a project, cleanup work for another city or state. From beginning to end, how does that work on a high level from the RFPs to the end? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start actually for six months before the RFP. Um, okay. Because what's, what's interesting 
about our business is if you're talking about anything to do with transportation, water resources, coastal flooding, you know, local presence matters and having skill set capability and relationships matter in terms of being known in the area. If you do great work in California, that resume does travel somewhat, but if Galveston's putting out an RFP to try and rebuild beaches, they're really going to want to know what do you have here that we know you have the resources. So it really starts with saying, where do we want to grow? And it's that map of where's the projects and the investment, where's the opportunity that we believe in and where are our resources today? And where do we need this to invest to go hire, to relocate, to find staff, train, and then to build relationships and build that in really two different ways. One is obviously with the local stakeholders, with the agencies that are putting out that work, but also as importantly with the partner firms. It's been an interesting ride for me. You know, I started my career in oil and gas and power and got into the public sector uh, sort of, you know, probably about 10 years ago. And in many private sector industries, partnering, partnering is not really as common, right? You, you compete. Right. And in the public sector, because we want to bring the best resources, because we're all competing for the same talent and the way it's structured, partnering is not only a positive thing, but it's actually required mm. uh, in many ways. So if you take the case of the cleanup that's going on now, We've been building relationships with firms in the Gulf of Mexico region, spreading all the way from Texas to Florida to Puerto Rico, mm. and luckily had some of those relationships built. We knew we wanted to be ready to deploy should a storm come through. So as soon as there was a known event where cleanup was needed, we're staying in touch with the potential clients and seeing what they need, first and foremost. And that's mm. something that is really important to me. And, and what I love about what we do is, it is as much a commercial enterprise as it is really trying to prove people's way of life, communities, when you think about rebuilding roads, rebuilding water, water plants, and, and trying to clean up after a storm. And so it's checking in with the clients, understanding, you know, where a need might happen. Public sector is always going to be a procurement process for the most part. So that RFE is put out publicly to request for a proposal, and, and that we receive and evaluate we had, you know, confirm our teaming situation of what partners we think we you know, should bring together to bring the right skill sets. That partnering is multi-layer. So there are prime firms, which are the larger firms like us, that bring different skill sets and different parts of the project. And then it's always important to think about the smaller firms, the SPEs, the minority businesses, diverse and historically disadvantaged, historically underutilized businesses, which is a big part of our focus in building the industry and building the community. And, and that's all part of the teaming picture. So you put that, that team together as quickly as you can, and then... We've got our proposals people that are dynamic and, and fantastic pulling together our resume. And that resume is as much the company as it is the individuals. Um, mm. So you get, going back to my first point, where's the talent and where do we need to build it? We're pulling the best of what we can locally and then adding to that with resume from across the country. Mm. And that's one of the more fun and challenging parts of my job is, <laughs> is uh, you know, helping our people that by their nature, many of them are more nomadic and love the project and are okay to move around, but matching talent and opportunity and development goals for our personnel with what's best for the client. Yeah. Um, so we package all that up, we price it, lots of tough decisions go into all that discussion and we submit our bid and then um, it's scored uh, by the client on, and what's, what I love about public sector for the most part, not, not every case, but they, it's much more, qualification based in in, mm -hmm. in many cases you know price in some cases isn't even 
discussed or revealed until after the selection is made, which is all based on technical qualification, resume, approach, interview. And then once the selection is made, oftentimes then the price is opened. And, you know, basically if we can get to agreement on price, then the project is ours. And if not, they go on to the next bidder who finished second, basically in, in the non-price parts. And that's it. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah. No, thanks. Thanks for going through that. That's very helpful. And you can definitely tell that you wear a lot of hats in a job that you have, all that you do. Now, with you staying in touch with clients, it seemed like a very important thing to do, knowing that certain situations could come up and you want them, to, you just want to keep in touch with them and make sure that they think of you when things happen. Now, with that, does that mean that pre-COVID, was there a lot of travel with what you do? Absolutely. And, mm. and you know, my, my background before TRC, I was with a consulting firm called McKinsey Company for mm over 13 years. So I was used to traveling, you know, that mm. career is a bit different, but I was traveling probably 200,000 miles a year. Oh. And for professional reasons and personal reasons, that travel was, was a bit much. So right. pre-COVID, I was only traveling about half that. Okay. But still about 100,000 miles a year. And, and it's really important for a couple of reasons. One certainly is the business side. You know, you mm. want to be, you know, we have great people across the country leading businesses who know their clients better than I ever will. But that said, it's whenever I always tell them, I'm going to show up until you want to see your client. But anytime you need me or want me to see your client, I would love to be there. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I do schedule and make sure I'm getting out, helping our people bring what I can for my position to show clients how important they are to us. Yeah. But it, for me personally, frankly, it's more important. And, and my clients may not like me saying this, but it's even more important. I'm out seeing my people um, mm. that I'm out seeing my, not not just the leadership, the, the people that report a layer to below me, but the brand new employees, the ones who have been there for 25 years and, you know, are our great frontline workers, um, the admins who make this place tick, you know, really getting out and showing them that we care, we want to hear from them, want to hear what's on their mind, what we can do better mm -hmm. and, and really do whatever I can to steer the ship with everybody's voice in mind. And then I'm getting out there helping to recruit, helping to attract talent and helping to retain talent by being present. And that's been, frankly, the hardest part. Um, clearly there's a lot of benefits to not traveling as much. It's seeing family a ton more and, and less nights right. gone, but that's what we're all trying to adapt to, right? Is how do you maintain that connection? How do you leverage the technology, which has been a great acceleration for us, frankly. And our industry is really behind on technology, but that's really what we're evaluating as we hopefully move past this at some point in the not too distant future what's the right balance right what have we learned that we can take forward and not travel as much and still have the same, the same impact but i certainly feel it it matters to be present right so. yeah definitely yeah if, and either way i think across the board you're going to have a lot of companies just rethinking how they're doing things but like you said it, it does matter to be present with your clients so yep. Can you talk about a typical day of yours? I know you talked about your responsibilities and your roles, but just a, a typical day, what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk about typical day over the past few weeks. So we just came out of the close of our fiscal year. So mm -hmm. basically when we open the books, July 1st, every year we close the books on that year, it's June 30th. And with the start of a new fiscal year, just a couple of months ago, we're fresh off our strategic assessments and launching strategies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really exciting time. So my, my days these days, you know, I will uh, 
be up with the family early, get online about eight o'clock or so. Um, you know, my, my morning is typically a time that I try and purposely block a bit more to actually get work done. Um, what's a challenge, not even just in the COVID world, but even beforehand, you know, we're so meeting centric these days. Um, and now with, with everybody, you know, working from, from home, your boundaries are even, are even lower. Um, so I, I'll block off time to really be able to think strategically, make calls to my people, um, and really, you know, progress work. And, and right now what I'm doing a lot of, of that time around is um, taking our, our progress in our strategies and assessing where, where are we with each. So I'll pick one a day and really dive into what's the latest status on the initiative, how are we doing, are we making the key hires of the resources that we need? Are the client proposals going well? What what investments or what resources do our people need? I'll call some of my leaders and just get with them during that sort of morning time and really try to make sure that we're making progress against goals. You know, we'll have check-ins at the executive level. So we have every other day, the CEO convenes the top 15 executives to check in on a similar front of how we're doing across the company. And that's as much a status check-in as it is strategy and how are we progressing, whether it's people strategies to help provide our people a better environment to work, to train, to mentor, or if it's growth strategies where we're trying to collaborate across the business, you know, me leading infrastructure, my peer in our power business, like my peer in our environmental business. So we'll have that touch point at least every other day. Digital is a big topic for us as well. So we're trying to help bring construction from behind, at least on par with the other parts of the business world in terms of using technology. And so we have some initiatives going on there that about every day I'll check in with our digital leader and, and the teams that are working on those. And then we'll have calls updating on ops, which for us, operations day to day is really how are we doing with our deployment of our people? Are there any safety issues that have come up that we need to look at? How are we doing with accounts receivable, with cash flow and where are there any gaps or issues around the person that we're trying to onboard to start projects and then clients. Are there any clients that we need to reach out and touch? And that operational portion of the day is typically more in the afternoon. And that's probably two or three hours every day where we're going through the issues of that day around topics. And then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start winding it down for about 5.30 or so, check with the family, uh, might have to cook i'll start firing up dinner which uh, can be a bit dangerous but uh you know and then and then you never know i mean the thing about being in the type of position that i'm in every day is different which i know is true for so many people but there are certainly times when urgent matters pop up and we got to get back online and try and really empower people as much as we can but i'm always available if somebody needs me so i would say probably i don't know maybe once a week or so there's something urgent that we got to address that really pushes into into the after hours but for the most part those things we try and again empower people to address and pull us whenever they need us the one thing that's missing now that i used to have more of are the once or twice a week dinner type engagements right whether it's with clients whether it's with our teams and so now every now and then we'll do the virtual happy hour right <laughs> or We'll do a virtual coffee break or stuff like that. Um, and that's, that's, again, that's the part that when you're doing it a lot, you wish you did it less. But when you're not doing it hardly at all, right. you really feel that, that potential need. Um, so. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Wow. So <laughs> definitely a, a full day for you, for your typical days. Now, just thinking about and just hearing about what you go through and some of the things you said you did, definitely seems like communication skills are important for what you do from all the different people that you're talking to, like you mentioned earlier, political figures to the community, clients, your leadership, relationship building and maintaining those skills seem very important. Multitasking for all that you do, leadership skills, and also, I guess, thinking on your feet because, you know, all those, you yeah. talked about the fires that you have to put out at times. So just want to see if you agree with that. And what other skills and characteristics would you say are important to be successful in your line of business? No, I mean, I think you definitely hit it. All those are really important. I mean, if I just augment it a little bit to add, add to it, I think it really is about communication, transparency. Mm. Yeah, it's a big thing for me and building trust and really building relationships. And that's how you do it. It's by communicating clearly, it's by being transparent, it's by doing what you say that you're gonna do and being uh, accountable. And I think it's also, there's a huge part of what we do as leaders in the business environment, which is around understanding people, being able to put yourself in their shoes, having empathy, and really trying to think from a perspective of, how do I inspire the other person? So I guess it's a bit of being selfless and how you think about releasing your own agenda, trying to understand where they're coming from. You know, I really benefited a lot from people in my career earlier on who pushed me to say, if you're telling someone what to do, you've already failed. That's not always true. But if you can get to the same result by asking questions, having vision, having clarity, but asking questions, empowering people, the result's always going to be better, more sustainable because they're going to own it. They're going to love it. And that's really a lot of what I've tried to continue to improve on is balancing that line between being a leader, having a vision, driving to action, but doing it in a way where you're really empowering others to lead and to really take control of that. But all that starts with communication, transparency, and building, building trust. Mm. Nice. All right. Definitely sound like a great leader. And now, and then talking about that, you're over, a thousand people or more. How did you get to this step? So I know you mentioned you were a partner at McKenzie. Can you just talk about some of the steps you took along the way and how that helped you to be able to get to the point where you are now and the things that you're doing? Yeah, no, um, it's funny. I feel very fortunate to talk through my timeline because it really took a lot of help from a lot of people mm. to get me where, where I am today. But, you know, it really goes all the way back to when I was in college playing football at Columbia, which is one of the worst football teams of all time. I'm playing corner for your football team. It's not a good thing. And I knew I liked engineering, but I thought I might like the business side better and got some good advice to say, why don't you look at going to get your MBA? And I made a really dumb decision at the time to go straight from undergrad to get my MBA. And I show up and I meet you at Rice and you guys are all looking at me like, what's this 22 year old doing at business school? Um, but for me, it ended up turning out okay. And, and in business school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I first started, but it's not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> so business school kind of having it some kind of a view. And got some great advice that said, well, look, you seem like you're interested in trying new things and a diverse set of opportunities. So consulting, why don't you think about doing consulting? And got was lucky enough to really just work hard, commit myself to understanding the consulting business. And McKinsey and company took a chance on a young kid 
And I started with McKinsey and just really embraced the environment and took all the mentoring and help I could get at, at McKinsey. Try to buy people that had a lot more experience than me and just try to be a great teammate and work really hard and soak up everything that I could. And I didn't get everything right. You know, my first 18 months, I'd heard that McKinsey was this great mentoring factory that they really developed people. And I was sitting in my office waiting for someone to walk in and teach me the world. And <laughs> I learned pretty quickly, mentoring is a two-way street and you got to invest in relationships to get something back from it. So just an example of definitely didn't get everything right, but we sought out mentors, sought out people that I thought I could contribute to and, and have a two-way relationship. Got a lot of support along the way from those people, from those relationships and spent a great 13 plus years at McKinsey getting a lot of opportunities and a lot of mentorship and growth along the way. Um, and the only thing I think I really did was to be open and to seek that opportunity and seek that feedback and work hard and and not get down when things didn't go my way and stay positive. And the, the thing I kept doing along the way was to evaluate what do I really want? What am I really trying to accomplish? I was happy at McKinsey the entire time, but to make sure I wasn't just focusing on, you know, what was right in front of me. And, you know, I knew that professionally, I probably wanted to get into more of a traditional business environment, more of a line role. I mean, McKinsey is a great place because their model is very flat. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, I didn't really report to anybody my entire time at McKinsey. No one really reports to anybody if you're a consultant and it's just a big, awesome web of people that have fine projects and go do fun things together for clients. Um, but you, you miss on some of that line of responsibility of the challenges I face today. How do you lead a thousand people spread out across the entire U S and that basically what came together was reaching a point in my career and my personal life that I got married, had a son who is now four. And once he was old enough to point at my suitcase, say daddy leaving again felt like a good time to think about when that step might make sense and again it came back to supportive people around me that i'm yeah. fortunate to have um, the same mentors who would never want me to leave mckinsey you know we had that kind of relationship where they knew what was going to be great for me as a person and they helped me find opportunities and I had never heard of TRC. TRC, I'm not sure I never thought about hiring a person with my experience base, <laughs> with my age, um, into the role that they hired me into, but fortunately found that right fit of an exciting company that was at the right point in, in its growth where my skill set might help and had a lot of people that vouched for me that gave TRC the confidence to sign me up to help lead a good chunk of what of what we do. But again, the whole story comes back to just working hard and having an open mind and committing yourself and being a really loyal, committed person, trying to build relationships, not trying to get something out of somebody or get something out of a job, but trying to give as much as I'm getting and, and all that pays itself back many, many times over. Man, that's great. Great story. Great advice. You hear a lot about mentors and mentorship, but I love that you talked about actually seeking out that help and that support and those mentors. And it's not just going to fall in your lap and it's a two-way street. And that's so important and, and so right. That's great. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So now can you talk about what you love about what you do? Absolutely. 
you can tell a big part of what I'm going to say is going to be about people and the people that I work with and that I think I work for, even though that they might say that they work for me. What I love about what we do, to me, it starts and stops with people, um, with empowering people to love what they do, to succeed, to grow. There's a strengths-based leadership model that you know, I learned at McKinsey that I'm a huge believer in of understanding people's strengths you know, what they do really well, figure out how to empower that and how to, how to really allow them to harness that untapped potential and then to use their strengths to develop. Shedding the old mantra of strengths and development needs, which is still a valid theorem, but can lead to positive and negative views of things and, and how do they leverage strengths in, in the total. And doing that in a way where it's not that you shy away from goals and you shy away from performance management. We certainly, I mean, we're owned by a private equity firm, we certainly have very high targets and goals with a financially driven firm that owns us, but that you find people's passion and that you, you still have the same goals, but you, you shape those goals together. You empower them to shape their own vision in mind. And my biggest joy at, at work really comes from my team members succeeding. When I get the call from my vice president or the director or the project manager saying, hey, you know, we just won, whether it's a $10,000 job or a $10 million job, that exuberance, that excitement, um, when they're thrilled that they landed the key hire they've been trying to find and recruit, or even when they're just really excited about a promotion or an industry cert that they achieved, those are the times that I really love. And that followed closely by the things that we do. For instance, for the city of Seguin here in the great state of Texas, we are fortunate enough to work with uh, the city to essentially significantly upgrade their water wastewater treatment plants. You know, we're doing similar work in water resources across the country. We're doing, if you look up in the state of California, the Oroville Dam in the northern part of the state, I think is still the tallest dam in North America. Um, it had a tragic spillway collapse under uh, torrential rains back in, I believe it was 2017. And part of TRC was the first on the scene to eventually be the construction management firm to help rebuild that entire spillway. Nice. Um, and then you, the list goes on about some of the iconic, you know, roadway projects that we've been involved in. Um, and it's just, that is really meaningful to me that, that the work we do has an impact on society and on people, um, you know, that we're able to contribute uh, skill sets that really help um, improve the quality of life for folks. And we're, we're, we're very lucky and fortunate whenever we are selected from all the great firms that are out there to, to do that work. And, and, and that, that I take a lot of pride in, but my pride is obviously only in the people that work for us to get that done because I'm just here to support them. So. Right. Now, what about on the flip side, though? And I know you mentioned a few things like the industry being behind on tech, how meeting centric things are and right now, what's going on with COVID. But are there any challenges or obstacles out there for you? Certainly, every day. I mean, I think the biggest challenges for us, really, I think number one comes down to the same topic. It's, it's people. It's mm -hmm. the retention and recruitment of people across the country. And this is true for so many industries. You know, we are talent short in a lot of skill set areas. The competition is very fierce. Mm. And frankly, that's a big part of why COVID was the, the whole COVID response, the really uncertain times of that sort of February through May timeframe. How do you maintain, inspire your staff in an environment where 
despite, you know, for our industry, we were, we were very, very fortunate that um, highway roadway water treatment, power, all those were deemed essential for the most part. And, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of slowdown. We, we did have some, we had meaningful slowdown in a few parts of the country, but we're still trying to make smart decisions to, to keep the business whole and keep us in a, a liquidity position, cash position, and to excite people and maintain your culture when you can't be in person anymore and, and you're navigating nationwide COVID exposure management and response, keeping people safe and healthy. And so that's really the big challenge is how do you continually excite, attract, excite, retain your staff and your teams in an environment where there's constant change, there's, there's so much uncertainty today. And even in normal times, resources were so short that um, you really be on top of your game because opportunities are all over the place. Right. Um, so that's probably the biggest challenge. I think, I think, you know, the other challenge I would do I think for the industry is around advancement in technology. Is it, it's, I would say it's, it's certainly an opportunity. I mean, the iconic projects are being done, technology is used, but when you look at how digital has affected and progressed everything from manufacturing to even oil and gas and a bunch of other segments in construction for many parts of construction, particularly if you, if you talk about what we call linear construction, which is, roadways and pipelines and things that aren't built vertically. There's a lot of opportunity for us to use everything from drones to robotics to field data capture, even simpler things like real-time capture of data from the field and analysis of that data to see trends the day after progress happens or doesn't rather than waiting the typical week to month to do the reports and see what's happening. And that, that I think is one that I do see as more of an opportunity than a challenge just because the positive for us as an industry is other industries have made more progress. And so there's, there's more things that are proven in other segments that we can adapt and, and, and bring in. And that's a big part of what, what drew me to TRC is we've got a, some tech savvy personnel and a real commitment to digital that we're excited about. And the industry is starting to partner together in the same way we do for projects to figure out industry solutions. Um, there is one more that I would be remiss to not mention, which is common, unfortunately, across many industries. It's, it's I think, quite prevalent in ours, which is diversity and, and inclusion, mm. which goes back to the resources point, but obviously a very different component to it. You know, when you look at whether it's the ethnicity and racial breakdown of our firm or many firms in our space, whether it's promotion of women, you know, many forms of diversity and inclusion our industry certainly is not leading. And it's something that uh, TRC, even before the social reform and all the tragedies that have occurred, and, mm. and I know they've been having for a long time, but it, that have really accelerated the social injustice movement. You know, we did have actions that were in place, but I think this has been an opportunity for us to accelerate things that we should have accelerated quite some time ago. And that is a real challenge and opportunity, obviously, mm. but something that you know, I am, I am proud of how our CEO and our executive team have responded. The proof is in the actions that come after that, obviously. Right. But that is something that I think is, is critical and, and one that is not just the right thing to do, but proven through all the studies that my old firm have done around the business performance of firms that really succeed in having a more diverse workforce. So. Right. And having a diverse ideas and everything. Yeah, no, it's good that you guys have acknowledged this and are responding to it. So that's great. All right. So 
Do you have any memorable moments that stick out for you in your career? Any most memorable moments? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. When you're traveling as much as I used to at McKinsey, there's a lot of stuff that's <laughs> certainly memorable. Um, I guess one that I'll mention that was really exciting for me at the time, I was at, I've been at McKinsey for about two years. I was about 26 years old and had the opportunity to go and work over in London for about four months. Nice. And that opportunity at that point in my career was just a huge eye-opener for me to global business and different cultures. You know, I was serving a private equity firm that was German, British, Italian. Hmm. You can imagine just the personalities and differences in communication styles and business styles. And on top of that, I'm 26 and living on an expense account in London and Dublin, which, you know, there's a lot of hard work, but was a great opportunity to explore right. as uh, well. So that was very fortunate to have that experience. And the other memorable moments for me are really exciting experiences with people that happen to occur in and around a work environment. Mm-hmm. A few years later, I was serving clients over in Saudi Arabia. So I got to go mm-hmm. and nice. experience that you know, environment and culture. You know, I was in Germany and the, the manager on my team was a former amateur glider pilot. And you got to think like... Uh, I'll get this wrong, but probably like a 60-foot wingspan, no-engine plane that they launch in the air with a rubber band, basically. And you're just kind of cruising, trying to find heat pockets to stay up in, in the air. Wow. So I've been fortunate to have some of those fun moments. But it, it all, again, comes back to fun stuff, getting to know people, yeah. um, getting to know different cultures, getting to see how other people think. So No, that's great. With all the travel that you did – being able to see all the people, all the cultures, all the countries, being 26, like you said, living in London for four months and a company's dime, that's, that's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. So. <laughs> that's right. Not bad at all. Right. Good times, man. All right. So, hey, Parker, we're at the end of this interview. I want to ask you some quick hitter questions for fun for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about or anything you think I might have left off asking you? No, I mean, I just, I just really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. And, um, you know, I, I hope if people take away anything from all this, it's focus on people, focus on helping out people around you and everything else will take care of itself. Nice. Great. All right. So let's get to these quick hitter questions. So first question coming from a former cornerback. What's your favorite sports team? Houston Texans. All right. What's your favorite movie or show? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, movie, I would say um, Tombstone. Mm, yeah. And show, um, show, I would say, there's too many to count. They yeah. seem a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tombstone's great. So many quotable lines in there. Yeah. Favorite musical artist or group? Uh, Drake. Hands down. No, right. Favorite vacation spot? Ooh, um, so Spain is probably the one I would pick, just the mm. diversity of that country and all the different things that, that you can see. Yeah. So. And favorite food or drink? Uh, so food would be anything delicious Mexican, and drink would be a really good bourbon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, well, Parker, this has been great. 
loved hearing your story and everything you've done. You've given great advice and just congrats on all your accomplishments. And also I love all that TRC does and hearing about all that they do. So thanks for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. RJ, thanks so much, Mick. Rest of you as well, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yep. No problem. All right. Have a good one. You too, man. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.